Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and for about the next hour, I'll be talking to somebody that I've interviewed before, but I was still really excited to interview her again. Uh, as most of you will know, uh, I attended a, a really interesting conference a couple of weeks ago in Houston, Texas, called the Summit and Sexual Exploitation. And one of the keynote speakers there was a woman named Dr. Mary Ann Layden. A lot of you will remember my interview with her, I think almost two years ago now, on the connections between pornography and violence. In fact, she was one of the first scholars to really start teasing out the evidence on this issue. And she first came to study this issue because she witnessed it through her work as a psychotherapist. She's actually the director of education at the Center for Cognitive Therapy, and she's the head of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. And she's done some absolutely phenomenal work there. She's the director of the Sexual Trauma and Psychopathology Program, as well as the director of the Social Action Committee for Women's Psychological Health. And quite frankly, she's just second to none on this issue. Uh, her and Gail Dines, I think, are probably the two foremost scholars on this issue. Dr. Gail Dines, of course, taking a much more feminist and strategic approach to the porn question, while uh, Marianne Layden really looks at it from a therapeutic perspective, both from the victims and the perpetrators. So I had the chance to actually meet her in person and chat with her in, in Houston, Texas, a couple of weeks ago, and actually give her a copy of my new book, The Culture War, which cites her research quite extensively in my chapter on rape culture. So we chatted then, and I said we should, we should really have another interview, and, and she was kind enough to agree to that, and here is that conversation. So I want to start with uh, how you got into the uh, research and connections between porn and violence, and then move directly on into the kinds of conversations you've had and how to rehabilitate perpetrators and addicts. Okay. So I started um, 31 years ago. I started as someone who treated sexual violence victims. And I would listen to their stories of sexual violence, whether it was an adult who had been raped, a child who had been incested, or even um, women who had been sexually harassed on their jobs. So all of the scope of sexual violence stories, I started with the victim side. About 10 years after I had started, about 10 years into it, it occurred to me that I hadn't heard one story that didn't involve pornography. Right. And I said, well, <laughs> that appears to be a connection. So then... The, the, another thing that happened that sort of changed my the course is I'd heard a, a lecture about individuals who had um, uh, sexually violated children who had been arrested, convicted, and incarcerated. So this is a, a relatively small sample of those who actually do this to children because by the time they're you know arrested and convicted and incarcerated, that, you know we've narrowed it down. But in that sample, those perpetrators had on average 240 victims by the time they got to the point where they were arrested, incarcerated. So I thought, well, gee, I could save 240 victims if I just got to one perpetrator. So then I started treating perpetrators and started listening to them. Tell me, you know, the story that, of what led up to the perpetration. And I started to hear from the perpetrators what are called permission-giving beliefs, beliefs that they have that say what they're doing is okay, is normal, it doesn't hurt anybody, everybody, you know, it thinks that this is fine. 
there was some kind of distortion in their thinking. I was really having a relationship with this woman. Okay, that's interesting because you had never met her and you grabbed her off the street and you had a knife to her neck. Yeah, but that's called a relationship. Like, oh, wow, where did you get that point of view that that's called a relationship? You know, why would you call her up the next day and see if she wanted to see you again? So I started to hear these stories with these interesting beliefs in them. And then I hooked the two pieces that I had noted. These guys who were perpetrators had beliefs, and some of the beliefs were exactly the messages you get in pornography. Right. The message of pornography is that sex is adversarial. It's it's a it's a fight between the two of us. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear you down. I'm gonna get this from you. You don't want to give it to me. It's a message in pornography that sex is not an intimate act. I don't have to know you. I don't have to know your name. I don't have to care about what you feel. I don't have to care about what you want. It's a message in pornography that that sex is recreational. It's all about my own pleasure. It's nothing about you. Know, I don't care whether you're having any good time or not. It's just and so those messages, which are the absolute core of the pornographic message, which we call pornography distortion, was exactly what perpetrators were telling me, which were triggers and releasers for them to engage in this behavior. And it and it came to me dramatically when I was treating one person who was a pedophile and had been sexually engaging children and he was using the child pornography and I said to him well so you're using child pornography you know most people realize it's illegal and so on and he said to me well how bad can this stuff be you can get it at the library Right. So now he's thinking this stuff is okay because you can just go to the library and download it. And then I said, but you're having sex with children. He said, well, I know that children like to have sex with adults. I said, well, how do you know that? Well, I, you know, I go to the library and I download the pictures, and the children are smiling as they're having sex with adults, so I know that they like that, so that's what I do. And I said, oh, wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's how you learn the message. Mm-hmm. Here's how you are acting on that message. That permission-giving belief that says, and and it starts with the permission-giving belief about pornography. Everybody's using it. Now, that is pretty close to the truth. When we're doing research on pornography and we're trying to get young adult males to be in research studies, we can't get a control group of young adult males who have never seen any pornography because there aren't any young adult males who haven't seen any pornography. So when they say to me, but everybody's using pornography, that's pretty close to the truth. All the males are. And they're using it earlier and earlier. And a recent research came out of the UK that said um, the average or the age at first exposure is about nine. And in the US, most of the research now says it's about 11 or 12, but we probably need to update our research. So they're getting exposed earlier. Everybody's using it. The message is that sex is adversarial, recreational, non-intimate, and that. And so then when you ask people who use pornography about their attitudes, they say things like, well, women like to be raped. You know, women got, you know, in the research, you'll see, yeah, women got what they wanted when they were raped. You know, like, oh, my goodness, what happens when we teach all the men in the culture that women like rape? You know, women get what they want when they rape. Women make up stories and say it's rape when really they liked what's happening. It's like as soon as you teach all the men in the culture that that, that thought, then they're going to act on that thought. Yeah, well, this seems like to, to be pretty obvious, right? Because everybody in marketing will tell you that the reason they create powerful imagery and the reason they pay so much money for advertisements 
uh, is because they ex- fully expect this imagery to change your behavior in some way. That's right. the reason they spend so much money on it is because right. they expect a return. And they're actually right. The research says that when you look at those little one-minute stories on TV called ads, you are more likely to buy their soap. But at the same time, when we discuss pornography, there are people like Dr. David Lay, who I tangled with on Twitter the other day, uh, who insist that there's no evidence that imagery impacts our behavior, which, which seems ludicrous beyond belief that somebody would make right. that claim. However, uh, the research of people like yourself, uh, the research of people like Dr. Gail Dines and Dr. Gary Wilson and Dr. Donald Hilton, this research is, is, is quite consistently ignored by a large swath of academia, although it's starting to gain uh, a lot of recognition by some legislatures, legislators who are realizing that their children have access to this material. What is it about academia which Dr. Gail Dines, who, you know, is a feminist and would consider herself, you know, a social justice warrior, she says bluntly that they're pro-porn. After all the things that you've said, why is that the case? Well, first, I think that there's not a good um, dissemination of the material of literally hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of studies that show the damage. So we need to get the material out there. Secondly, there's pushback in the society, and, and academics are in that same kind of societal point of view as you get the pushback. Some of it is what we call willful blindness. I don't want to see this. I don't want to feel the threat of this. I don't want to think my kids are exposed to this. I don't want to think my male partner is exposed to this, or my male partner is exposed to this, and he's telling me all the guys are doing it, and I don't want to rock the boat, or any of that kind of pushback. So the, the academics don't want to see the research. There are literally hundreds of studies. There are practically zero studies that show any kind of positive effect of pornography, and yet David Lay and Nicole Prowse will go around and say, here are studies like, okay, there are, there are no studies that say there's a positive impact. We have a few studies that say we couldn't find a, a consequence, you know, and some of them are poorly designed studies. Mm-hmm. You know, ask porn users, did this hurt you? No, it didn't yes. hurt me. Oh, okay. Most yes, of the like, oh, studies well. that I've looked into that say things like that as well, yeah, the primary, there was an interesting one that came out in Canada you probably heard of, I don't know, last year, I, about a year ago, that claimed that porn made people more feminist, which I thought was 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 pretty fundamentally ridiculous. And then I looked into the people they were talking to, and the people they were talking to were, were most often men over 50. Well, you're not targeting the digital generation. You're not talking to right. people who have been saturated with Internet porn. You're not looking at the people that other people, that researchers like yourself are making these types of claims about. So those right. studies seem ridiculous, but the hostility goes deeper, because with Dr. David Lay, for example, if it was just the fears that you're talking about, you know, he was on Katie Couric with Gabe Deem, who I talked to a little while ago, uh, and, you know, Gabe Deem was describing how there was a wave of, of, of young men who were experiencing erectile dysfunction as the result right. of their, their compulsive porn consumption. I was just reading a, a very sort of pro-porn article on Vice.com, and the sex therapist that was interviewed said, oh, yeah, if somebody has AED, the first question I ask is, how much porn are you watching? Because that's probably going to be it, Right. He doesn't say right. this from an anti-porn perspective, just as a th- from a therapeutic perspective. What is the hostility to these stories? You know, Gabe Deem tells his story. Dr. David Lay responds by saying, there is no evidence for that. What, what draws them to well, this? Well, and, and let me say that, 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 that it's interesting that the pushback, the, the, the actual pushback. Now, we get the, we get the ones who are just sort of passively doing nothing. 
who haven't read the research, who don't know, who are sort of in the willful blind, I don't want to see. We get the next group, which are motivated, what we call motivated ignorance. David Lay, Nicole Prowse, that group. They're, They're a very small group. There's about five of them total. And whenever journalists want to interview somebody, they don't interview the hundreds of us who say, here's the research and here's the problem. They go to one, those five people who go around saying there's no evidence, which is clearly not true. And, and then they interview those as if those were equal, as if the five people who say there's no problem and the hundreds of us that say there are problems, if these five people who, who often quote bogus studies, they will, they will talk about a paper written by D'Amato, which is an absolute bogus, zero content in there, a a paper that was, if it was written by an intro psych student, it would have gotten an F and is published nowhere except on on Wikipedia. They will quote that study. Like, that's not, that's a bogus study. But those five people quoting bogus studies, the journalists will say, okay, we have to be balanced. It's like, no, that's not balanced. That's being untruthful. That's being dishonest. If you've got five people who are quoting bogus studies and you have hundreds of people quoting hundreds of studies, those don't deserve equal weight in journalism. But the journalists are also motivated to be having their own ignorance because some of the journalists are using the material. Some of the journalists don't want it to be a problem. Some They're hopeful that this isn't causing damage. And so you get just a few people pushing back, but it's treated as if there's an equal wave. But there's not an equal wave. And when, when David Lay says there's no research, we, there is research. There's, you know, there was a study that was done in Europe that looked at men who use pornography. The average age was 25. About 58% of them have erectile dysfunction. There's data here. We have data on this. Um, Time Magazine did a report on this in April, a front cover of Time Magazine report on porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Um, if you go to the NoFap website, he has one million of visitors per month to his website where he talks about the recovery from the, these kinds of damages by abstaining from masturbation and porn use. And, and he has, he's now collecting data on this. So the, the five people on the other side get equal time in the journalist, you know, uh, uh, point of view as the hundreds of us and the hundreds of studies and and that's just not honest journalism. It's not honest journalism to say that those are equal. Um, I remember years ago, there's a there's a show on CNN by Anderson Cooper, which is called 360. He tries to give all the perspective of a particular issue. And he did a show a few years back on sex trafficking. And he said, I've talked to both sides of the issue on sex trafficking, the ones that say it's destroying you know, women and children's lives and it's rape, and the other side that says it's migration for work, it's blah, blah, blah. And so I'm supposed to present both sides of an issue, but only one side of this issue makes any sense and has any relevance. So I'm only going to present the side that it's damaging women because this other side is senseless. And he only presented the one side, which I think is honest journalism, because there's no evidence that the other side actually has any support for itself. Yeah, you can get some people who will say that, but that doesn't mean it's a reasonable perspective. And the data is here that pornography is damaging, that there's data, there's significant data that shows that it's hooked to sexual callousness, that it's hooked to to sexual violence, that it's hooked to uh, not thinking that you shouldn't have to protect children from being exposed to this, that you develop tolerance, that you need more and harder kinds. We've got, we've got hundreds of studies that look at this. We've got brain studies now that look at men who use pornography and say they have less gray matter. They have, you know, what, what, what I call teen brain, the impulse 
impulsive parts of their brain are more active than the adult executive rational parts of their brain well we see that in teens but these guys were 25 why do they still have a brain that looks like a teen you know that they're still impulsive rather than having an executive decision-making rational functioning so we've got data on all of these things that therapists have been saying for years therapists have been saying for years that there's erectile dysfunction now we have the data but the therapist has known this you know we've seen it in in our therapy that these guys are suffering from what they're doing but we have a few radicals on the other side who want to say there's no data and then they they spout studies that are useless so um i think the journalists have to have to confront themselves and say each side is not equal each side is not equal right. so so the the fact that that males who use pornography say if you ask them are you going to be faithful when you're married and they say no and then we have another research project that checks to see that men who use pornography when they're married are likely to cheat. It's like, okay, we have a behavioral measure, we have, a, we have a, an attitude measure, and they're in sync, and that's what we're finding in the therapy. And so we have data on that. So, you know, that means we're going to have more divorces because people who cheat are likely to get divorced. So this is destabilizing the society through marriage. It's destabilizing the society through men who use porn and say, I don't want female children. What's going to happen when you get female children, you know? So it it has sexual callousness. It has a reduced support for the women's liberation movement. There is data on that in both men and women. So we have data on that, you know. So and and so and that was done by looking at young people rather than fifty year olds. And so we have data on the things that we're saying. But I think I think we've got to get the journalists to be more responsible in how they do it. Balanced is not balanced if it if it if it takes an issue that has 1% per support and makes it equal to an issue that has 99% support. That's not honest. That's, but, not, but that's does, not ethical. Does anybody actually think the media is balanced anymore, like on either side? Because uh, I get the sense that everybody just assumes, you know, Fox News is right-wing and CNN and MSNBC are left-wing, and there's not really a lot of spaces where we can meet in the middle and discuss something that affects all of us and whether you consider, you know, pornography uh, an assault on healthy relationships or whether you consider it uh, the seedbed of rape culture. This is something that I have found, at least in my anti-porn work, that everyone can relate to. Well, and see, I think there are a few journalists who are publicly speaking out. You know, Anderson Cooper, Christine Amanpour on CNN, these people are, are speaking out and saying, it's more important to be honest and tell the real story than to be balanced. Right. And so there are, there are some who are saying this, you know, and you can hear them say this, but not everyone believes that. So I think, I think we've got to, and, and part of my concern is that there may be journalists who are motivated in the hope that their pornography use will not be a problem. And I don't know which journalists, I'm not naming any journalists on this, but there may be ones who are trying to protect themselves. Right. As there are legislators that are trying to protect themselves. I've, I've testified before the Congress on five occasions. I know that they will not pass any law that they think will convict someone like them or them. Right. And so it's hard to get laws passed. <laughs> and when we have a problem where people are universally using this, now, in the United States, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, is taking on board this concept that this is a public health crisis. And we do have some states and state legislatures who are considering this. Utah has already passed it as a public health crisis. Texas and Tennessee are about to pass it, that the use of pornography is a public health crisis, and that it, it has multiple negative consequences. It's not just that some people think it's immoral. It has multiple negative consequences on adults and children. 
You know, we know that children who are exposed to even sexualized media are more likely to get pregnant, are more likely to have sexually transmitted diseases, are more likely to start having sex early, are more likely to, to have multiple sex partners, um, are more likely to engage in non-consenting sex. We have a, an uptick in children sexually assaulting other children. So these are consequences on children. Can't we all agree that we don't want our children to have these consequences? And we don't want our adults to have them either. When we look at the data on rapists, um, the significant majority of rapists are repeat rapists. Depending upon the study, it's 60 to 70% of men who rape do it more than once, whether it's a college sample or a military sample, do it more than once. These are men who have gotten these beliefs, who are engaging in this behavior repeatedly on the campus, in the military, you know, in the society. These, and, and this is hooked to pornography use. So can't we, can't we agree that rape is a bad thing? Rape on our campus is a bad thing? Rape in the military is a bad thing? So I think we've got generally the population in, a, in agreement with this, but we don't have the reporters taking the honest point of view, and they're going to these five few people who are outliers <laughs> who are you know, saying that this is fine and it doesn't hurt anybody when the data is really very clear that it's damaging in so many different ways. So how do you deal with, uh, from a personal perspective, when you talk to somebody who says, I've been looking at porn for three years, for five years, for ten years, or even longer, uh, how do you begin to work with this person to sort of you know, reboot their brain and get to a point where they're free of the effects of their porn use, or is that even possible? It's possible for them to get better. And you always have to start with the self-interest, because and, and many of us, including myself, made a mistake years ago in our social activism of going out and saying, here's the first thing we want you to know. This material is hurting women. It's causing damage to women. It's degrading women. It's destroying their lives. And people said, we really don't care. Now what I start with is say to men, this is causing you to have erectile dysfunction, and you're not going to be able to have sex with a woman, and now they care. And so you start with their self-interest. You say, right. the, the, the lie of pornography was it's going to give you a great sex life. The truth of pornography is that you're not going to be able to have sex with a woman. Right. You're going to have premature ejaculation. You're going to have retarded ejaculation. You're going to have difficulty maintaining an erection. You're going to have a whole bunch of problems. And so it's not giving you a better sex life. It's stealing your sex life. And so... Men are interested when you say, okay, this is destroying my sex life. You know, now they want to know, oh, okay, I, don't, I really don't want that to happen. What do I need to do? And now you can start the process of the healing. You can say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And it's interesting. Um, Christopher, or, excuse me, Alexander Rhodes, who's got the NoFap website, uh -huh. has started to collect some data that when men abstain from pornography use for, and, and from masturbation to pornography for six months or a year, First, the erectile dysfunction disappears, but they also see a number of other consequences of improvement in their life, and not just in their relationships with a particular person, which that does improve, but in their general altruism, their care about people, their, you know, their concern for people, which was sort of surprising. We didn't expect that they would be a more altruistic person just by not using you know, pornography, but he's finding that in his data that he's collecting. So we say to men, there is healing from this. You can get over your erectile dysfunction. You can, you know, you can get your relationships back to the point where you can actually have a, a, an intimate, emotionally intimate, sexually intimate relationship with a woman. And you, but you're going to have to abstain from this material, which is killing you. 
you know, it's killing your brain. It's, you know, it's, it's causing certain parts of your brain to have a lack of connectivity with other parts of your brain, which is one of the brain studies they found that the brain connectivity goes down. It's causing you to be unresponsive to sexual imagery so that you develop tolerance and you, you're not responding anymore. But you can heal these things. And what will happen is you physically will get better, you emotionally will get better, your relationships will get better. And, and that's, you know, if you abstain, and if we teach you what healthy relationships are about, because you now have pornography distortion, which is all the message that's in pornography that's a lie, you know, and pornography is in in one way a perfect teacher because it's visual and it's arousing and it's has role models that are showing you how to do things and it's and it's rewarding because you, you, they use it and masturbate at the same time so the orgasm is hooked to it it's it's got all the best factors of learning except for the fact that everything it teaches you is a lie so other than that it's a great teacher so we have to right. reteach you what healthy relationships are about what what how to integrate emotional intimacy and physical intimacy how to to tolerate the vulnerability of emotional intimacy and and how to get to that place by decreasing the amount of your brain that's being um it's soaked in pornography and increasing your brain pathways that go another direction that go to the direction of loving caring intimacy physical intimacy emotional intimacy inter- interconnected and so if you let that other part of your brain go fallow it will shrink and we do have brain studies that say when you go down a particular pathway in your brain, that pathway in your brain gets physically bigger. We can measure it. It's bigger. It's thicker. It grows dendrites around that pathway. But if you don't use that pathway, it will start to recede, and the other pathway you use in your brain will start to grow bigger and thicker and grow dendrites. So we say it's possible to heal from this, and it's really better on the other side. Life is better on the other side. And so for most men, they want to have a healthy sex life. For most men, they want to have sex with a person. They want to, you know, have a, a real sexual life, not not a life that where all the sex is with pixels. You know, they they want that, they desire that, and so we're going to teach them how to do that. But it means getting pornography out of your life. There's nothing more toxic than the pornography that has gotten so violent, so degrading, so insulting, so demeaning, so body punishing, so soul punishing that says everything is about torturing this woman torturing this woman and some of them realize it there's a recent study that came out when they asked men who said i like to have an orgasm on a woman's face and and they said to the men you understand this is degrading to her and this is you know hurtful to her and it has physical damage and you know emotional damage and the men said yeah i know i like that part like oh, okay oh, <laughs> oh dear <laughs> like your sex life your sexual template has now been spread to include violence as a sex act and when you make violence sexy, and when this is now, when violence is something that now gives you an erection, we are all going to pay the price for that. And in my own research, one of the things we found was that when we studied men over an, over a number of years, so we, we measured them in their freshman year in college, we measured them again in their senior year in college, the males who had increasing pornography use from freshman year to senior year, in their senior year had significantly higher psychopath scores. So these websites are making money by teaching our boys to think like psychopaths. Like, we're going to pay a price in this society. Our boys are going to pay a price. Our girls are going to pay a price to have to interact with boys who think like psychopaths. And so, you know, that's what pornography is teaching them, that, you know, violence is great and, you know, hurting people is fun and it's sexually arousing and, 
you know, you don't have to pay any attention to her saying no and don't even notice any signs that she says no and it doesn't really matter and, you know, have sex with people who are comatose, you know, at least she didn't say no. Like, she didn't say no because she's blacked out. Yeah, you <laughs> you know, she's not saying anything. So you see she's not saying anything. <clears throat> there's going to be a cost and you see the cost up close all the time because you do the therapy. You do, you do the right. rehabilitation both with victims and with perpetrators. So tell me what sorts of principles you've uncovered, because I know you're at the cu- on the cutting edge of this research, and h- how you go forward. Well, first, you, you, as I said, you start with their self-motivation. You start with the patient by saying, let's list all the ways that pornography hurts you. And, and let's note some ways that you didn't notice. Let's, let's note some ways that, that are subtle. So you feel more anxiety when you're actually with a member of the opposite sex whom you're sexually interested in. Okay, your anxiety has gone up. So you feel more socially awkward. You feel, you notice in your behavior you're less likely to approach that person. You notice that you start to avoid situations that are social and you want to just go home and get on your internet porn and, and so we're, we're drawing their attention to all the ways that it's damaged them. Oh, you notice that you, you, know, you don't get very many hours of sleep because you're on the internet porn all night. You know, what happens when you go to work the next day? What happens when you go to school the next day? So you start by having them list all the problems, including all the things that they're willfully blind about. You know, so we're going we're gonna to draw their attention to all the things, even, even the ones that say, you know, I never spend any money on this. And I say, well, is that true? Let's look. And then they say, well, I did spend money on it here on it and here and here and here and here and here and here. Like, okay, so you're trying to tell yourself you're not doing it when you are doing it. So you start with that motivation. Here's all the way it's hurting you. And then we say, okay, let's look how that's hooked to the pornography use so that you can see that's the cause of it. And then we're going to start to build up the other parts. We're going to start to build up your definition of healthy uh, sexual relationship, healthy emotional relationship. We're going to start to teach you relationship skills like communication skills, like like um, um, conflict resolution skills so that you can have a relationship because you've got to be able to communicate and reduce conflict and we're going to teach you those skills. We're going to start to um, talk about the damage it's done to your self-esteem and how to build up your self-esteem because for many men, they're wounded in their self-esteem and they don't typically want to start by talking about that, but they feel bad about themselves that they do this. They feel bad about it because some of them feel morally convicted, some of them feel psychologically convicted, some of them feel convicted because they actually want to respect and love women in the world and it makes, makes it hard for them. So we're going to have to deal with their self-esteem problems. Some of them have, have, have childhood wounding and that's going to have to be built up. So we're going to have to deal with the childhood wounding and how to heal them from what was done to them in childhood. So we've got to build that up. So we're bringing down certain things like their use while we're bringing up certain things like their self-esteem and their emotion and relationship skills so that they can now start to have a real relationship with people. And so it's it's both a process of looking at, at, at the behavior, but it's also looking at the beliefs. So we ask them to talk to us about the beliefs. So what's your belief? Well, I, my belief is that everybody's doing it. My belief is that it doesn't hurt anybody. And some, at some point, I'll, you know, when I hear this, it doesn't hurt anybody, I'll be asking these men who are either pornography addicts or sex addicts or both, they may be prostituting women, they may be you know, going to strip clubs, and I'll say to them, um, do you want your sister to be a stripper? Are you hoping your daughter will be a prostitute? Do you want your mother to be a porn star? And 100% of the men say, no, I, I don't want that. And I'm saying, well, if this doesn't hurt anybody, if this is such a great career, why don't you want the women you love 
to be in that. And the truth is they know it hurts people. They just don't want it to hurt the women they love. And so they're in that conflict of part of me knows this hurts people. Part of me doesn't want to admit to myself it hurts people. Part of me wants to protect the women I love. But then we've got to talk about some concept of the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You can't just protect the women you love. You know, and Howard Stern one time said, you know, my greatest fear is that my daughters will grow up to date the men who listen to my show. Well, you're just hoping your daughters don't pay a price for this. But it's okay if our daughters do. If our our daughters pay a price for this, that's sort of narcissistic. So, you know, we're wanting to have them draw their attention to the fact that they, at some level, know this hurts people. Now, that's not their first motivation. Their first motivation is that it's hurting them. But sooner or later, we've got to get that this is hurting other people as well and and that you can stop that people who do stop do get better. And so we've got to give them some hope. And then we've got to do practice. And we've got to, you know, we've got to say, okay, how are you going to keep yourself from going on the porn sites? And we've got a lot of strategies. You know, it may be that you're going to have to do some of your work for your job on a laptop that's not hooked to the Internet. It just has, you know, has a Word document on it, you know, so that you can't just click right into the, into the porn sites. Maybe you're going to have to have blocking software for your home computer, your home, your PlayStation. Maybe you're going to have to have an accountability coach where each week that accountability coach is going to get emailed to your accountability coach every website that you went to that week. And so somebody is going to know where you've been, and they're going to say, why did you go to this website? Let's talk about that. Let's help you not do that. So that there are many places that they they need some environmental controls, some blocks to help them. Or maybe they're going to have to decide that when they go to their office, they're going to have to leave their office door open, told turn their monitor to the outside hallway so that anybody who walks by that office can see what's on that monitor. That's an environmental support to say, okay, if I was using it at my office, I was doing it because I could shut the door. Well, don't shut the door. Leave the door open. So we've got some strategies that will be environmental supports to help them. Um, some of them need to get into some spiritual programs, some programs at their church or some programs you know, that, that their community has developed. Um, so that there are a lot of ways to help them from the outside, also from the inside. But, you know, the goal is to get them into a place where they love themselves, they love others, and they have intimate, connected relationships with people. And part of this, at, at a conference a few years ago, Roger Scruton, who was at that conference, who's a philosopher from England, we, was, we were talking about the damages of pornography, and in his talk he was listing some of the damages, but his his summary statement was really... The, the essence of it, he said, pornography threatens the loss of love in a world where only love brings happiness. And so we're trying to get people back to where that true self-love, other love, and the happiness that's available to you and get them to stop eating the sexual junk food, <laughs> you know, that there's a feast out there. Stop eating the sexual junk food. You know, you ate all the sexual junk food and you became sexually obese. You know, th- th- this is causing you all kinds of problems. So, but there is hope. There is hope. There is treatment. There is improvement. You can have the life that you want and deserve, and and the world can be made better. We can put this genie back in the bottle. You know, we 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 did it with cigarettes. We can do it with this. So, you deal with this stuff every day. You've dealt with it for every thirty-one day. years. I've done I a lot of anti-porn work, and I find it very draining. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners wondering, how do you deal with? the the junk food all the time how do you deal with the worst in human nature and the most uh, viscerally mauling things that are happening in our society on a day-to-day basis well uh, several things i do uh, environmental protection of myself 
So I don't look at pornographic imagery. I don't, you know, so I don't put that in my brain. Secondly, I have found my tribe. I find others who are sensitive and loving, who get this issue, who understand this issue, so I don't have to explain myself. And we get together and we talk and support each other. And there are more and more and more people in my tribe. And, you know, I go to conferences, as you know, where the tribe meets and we talk about how we're going to make the world a better place and we're going to bring love back. And so we, uh, you know, support and encourage each other. And personally, and I know everybody's not on this issue, I am tremendously encouraged by the response we see in the society to the terrible things that are happening. So when we have presidential campaigns where (laughs) one candidate says, I grab women by their genitals, and we get such pushback against that statement, let me say that in 31 years, people have been saying this for decades and nobody pushed back. People are pushing back now. They're saying, that's a terrible thing to say, that's a terrible thing to do. We didn't used to care. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm, I'm actually thrilled <laughs> that people are saying these terrible things and people are pushing back against them. I'm, I'm saying, this is a, the society is improving. When we have a, a front cover uh, article on Time magazine saying porn is causing erectile dysfunction, in 31 years we've never seen that. Like, oh, wow, things are getting better. When we have the Dirty Dozen list, which is put out by the National Center on Sexual Exploitation each year, and the people on the dirty dozen list are ones who are who are involved in this kind of sexual exploitation and these people these organizations try to get off the dirty dozen list when google got on there because they were putting these uh, ads on and google called and said how do we get off the list and they said take these ads down said okay we'll take them down it's like oh that was great <laughs> yeah you know when when hilton hotel said well we're putting porn into the hilton hotel rooms and we said we, you need to not do that and they said okay we'll take it out and then you know omni hotel took it out marriott hotel took it out hilton took it out uh, starwood took it out it's like oh wow all these hotels that for years have been serving up hardcore porn to the people who go the hotels now don't do it because they've said, okay, we're going to take it out. When a website like Overstock.com, they were contacted and the president on a Friday was told, do you know that you sell sexually exploited and sexually explicit material on your website? And he said, no, I don't. He said, I didn't think we wanted to do that. I didn't know we did that. Well, on Monday, it was all gone. It's like, okay, that was great. (laughs) Took it all down. So I'm, I'm very encouraged that, you know, we are having, there's a terrible case that's happening right now in the United States about a student in, in Wisconsin, and it looks like he's a serial rapist. We've had serial rapists for decades. Now it makes the news. Now they're indicted. It's, it's really quite a hopeful period that sexual violence is something that is of concern to us. We have a, uh, more than 100 universities in the United States are being investigated for their response to sexual violence, and we're going into those universities and saying pornography is part of your problem. Uh-huh. You're having women raped on this campus because you're having sex week that's saying pornography is wonderful. You know, you're having groups on your campus that are, you know, reading stupid books like Fifty Shades of Stupid or watching the movie Fifty Shades of Crazy, and they just, and this is saying, you know, here's how we do, I know there's another in the series of Fifty Shades of Crazy that's coming out that says you can take a psychopath and turn him into to a loving husband, just let him torture you. Like, wow, all of us therapists who've been trying to figure out a way to treat psychopaths didn't know that you just let them torture women and they'll become loving husbands. Like, what a message from there. So, but, but there's pushback against it. And so I think we're actually getting much better. I think we're, we're getting more research. We're getting more people who are speaking out about it. So I'm encouraged at this moment. I think this is better than it's ever been in the 31 years that I've been working. And, and partly because... 
it's such a massive problem now. You know, now there's nobody that can say, I haven't been exposed or no one in my family has been hurt by this, that we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. And, and we have pushback against groups that are, that are causing problems. So when the American Library Association website had a section for teens, and if when the teens went into that website, they could click on a link that would tell them step-by-step step how to disable the blocking software that their parents put on the home computer. Like now the American Library Association is on the Dirty Dozen website, or Dirty Dozen list, because you just can't interfere with parental authority in that way and still be an ethical, professional organization. You just can't do that. The, these parents are trying to protect their children from pornography. How dare you come in here and interfere with that? So there's pushback against these that are doing these kinds of things. And, and so that's very heartening to me. So I say find your tribe. Talk to people who get it. Talk to people who are educated. Don't believe the people who tell the falsehoods and say there aren't any research or tell you about fake research or whatever. Um, know that we can make this better. Know that we, you know, we've, we've turned the corner on other problems. You know, 30 years ago, more than 50% of the people smoked in the United States. Now it's 17%. We've really had a tremendous improvement in this problem. Now, we had to get to the point where 450,000 people a year were dying from cigarette smoking before we paid attention. You know, we had to have the clinicians say it's killing the patients. We had to have the lawyers suing. We had to have the journalists writing articles about it in order for us to have that tremendous improvement. We've got to have the same thing here. We've got to get journalists who are honest, who will tell the truth, who know the difference between researchers who quote actual research and researchers who quote fake research, who are saying people are suffering, children are suffering, families are suffering, men are suffering from their own use, wives are suffering from their husband's use. This is an equal opportunity toxin that's killing everybody. So, the, you know, we've got to have a concerted effort from everybody, starting with protection of children. But, but, but for the researchers, and, you know, I get hate mail and I get, you know, death threats and all this, but, but there are more people who are now coming to this, more people who are aware, not just in the churches. The churches are becoming more aware, and I'm going to be speaking in October at the Vatican because the, the Catholic Church has got a concern about sexual violence, and even the Pope is concerned about sex trafficking and those kinds of things. The churches are more aware, but the scientific community is more aware, and clearly the mothers are more aware. They know that their children are being hurt. And I think we all can you know, can agree that, that you know, hurting children is just not okay. It's not okay. And these websites are targeting children. Well, They're trying to get them early because we know that, that you know, if you get a, ch- a child hooked early, you're going to have a customer for life. And it's what the cigarette companies did, and now the porn sites are doing it too. And it's, and it, it's largely controlled. The, you know, the porn industry in the world is largely controlled by one main mind geek um, organization that controls most of the porn distribution in the world, MindGeek does. And so it's it's very centralized in some ways. And, you know, some of this we need to target that and figure out how to, you know, uh, cause them to take the consequence of what they're doing. But I think knowing that there are others that agree with you can can actually uh, calm you and give you the energy to go back out there and, uh, you know, keep the wind, wind beneath your wings. Um, by knowing that we can make it better and that there are others that care. Well, Dr. Layden, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It was a pleasure. (laughs) 